0: Bibles tonight, to Proverbs chapter number 23. We start a brand new chapter tonight. I was just thinking if there is a theme to this chapter, uh, it it would have to be the subject of self-control. And if I was giving uh, a title to the... uh, to the chapter, it would be the management of me, the management of me. There are eight things uh, discussed in this one chapter, and it starts out, as we're going to see tonight in the first three verses, speaking about appetite. (laughs) Don't you wish you'd stayed home tonight? Appetite then he moves on and talks about riches and then separation and respect and child discipline and uh, the heart of wisdom sexual purity and abstinence and so it covers a lot of uh, a lot of subjects but all of them relate to the matter of us uh, maintaining control of ourselves and, and i was sitting there thinking it'd be real easy to say okay we're just going to go as far as we can uh, into this chapter tonight and we you know we might get to or maybe into the third subject And, and i i think right now that probably what we'll do is just take these first three verses and spend our time here tonight uh because a lot of times you go to mixing subjects and uh you kind of lose uh, the benefit of uh, what you just got through uh, considering and uh, but we'll see how it goes you said preacher you sound like you're confused well <laughs> i'm confused in that i'm not sure exactly how far we ought to go into this but we'll see how the how the time flies verse number 1 when thou sittest to eat with a ruler consider diligently what is before thee well he starts out talking about a great privilege notice says to eat with a ruler Man, most people never have the opportunity to to eat a meal with a king let's say or with a president or uh, somebody in really high authority we've just you know don't We're generally not invited over for Thanksgiving to eat with people like that, are we? Uh, They don't know us and don't really care about us and so forth. But one thing's for certain, were we to receive such an invitation as that, we would want to be on our best behavior. I mean, that just stands to reason. That's good etiquette, to be on your best behavior. You don't want to get there and make a fool out of yourself. And the people in high positions, you know, they, most of the time, I don't think, would just serve ordinary meals. Certainly not in that day when you think about the kings. It wouldn't be an ordinary meal. You know, for you and I, we could enjoy a bowl of beans and a big old slice of onion and some cornbread, and that'd be great. But, you know, they they, they wouldn't be satisfied with something like that. You know, they're going to have the most choice cuts of meat and Uh, and just all kinds of food that tempts the palate and so forth. And so they have the finest food that is available, and and they have it in in abundance. Now, that being the case, boy, it would be mighty tempting to just indulge. Uh, I I think that's just human nature. I don't get to eat this kind of food very often, you know. I'm going to eat as much of it as I possibly can. And so that's that's why the warning is needed here, that because if we're not careful in a situation like that, we would show more interest in the, the meal than we do in the host. While I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, as far as you and I are concerned, uh, our, our family, our, our spouse or our children or our parents... They're more important to us than even the president of the, of the country. You know, nobody on earth is more important to you than your spouse or your children or your parents. And yet we live in a day and an age where because of this little this little thing right here in my pocket, it is amazing. You go into a restaurant and, and you look over there and uh, here you've got a family of four and they're waiting on their meal and they're all messing around with their phone and totally distracted from one another and so you know here we're talking about sitting and eating with a ruler and my land we we need to see the principle in that that there's something more important than the meal itself and that's the people that we're with there's an old Arab proverb that says, "With kings, one sits at the table for honor's sake, not for that of appetite." Think about that. You sit down to eat, and by the way, eating meals that that, that, was, a, that was a big deal in those days. Uh, you know, we don't we don't put that much emphasis on the importance of the meal itself. It's just, "Where's the beef? Give me." Give me the food. I'm hungry. Give me something to eat, and then I'm out of here. But but the meal itself, especially in a sitting like this, was a was a big deal. And um, Horace, the what what was Horace a philosopher, a, a poet? Uh, he he made a statement. He s- said concerning the the fact that in those days the kings would. Would pass the 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 dainties, the uh, the fine foods and what have you, and, and the wine, for the purpose of trying to scrutinize the person as to whether they were worthy of their friendship or not. In other words, it was a test. And uh, you stop and think about it. In fact, I was reading about Henry Ford, and Henry Ford. Uh, made a habit of whenever he's thinking about promoting someone and he would uh, take take them out to lunch and if they happened to put salt and pepper on their food before they tasted it they didn't get promoted that was a test that he had because he assumed that if they would do something like that if they would season their food before they ever even tasted it then they might make decisions in the company before they got all of the facts. Now you know that sounds a bit extreme to me, but that was that was his manner of testing, and 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 back in those days, this was often a manner of testing people in regards to their. Attitude toward the king, because the kings certainly didn't just go out and embrace anyone as their friends. And you've heard me say before, as I've read by the, from the historians, they said, you know, the, you couldn't go into the presence of a king uninvited to start with. But just to enter into the presence of some of the kings with a frown on your face was enough. That's uh, the, that sometimes they would have the person executed. To bring their gloom and you know into the presence of the king was just something that you absolutely didn't do, and so we need to realize that that there is a respect to be paid to those that we dine with we, we think about business luncheons for example, and uh you know i've uh, I've never been in that world of of uh you know taking people out and trying to dine them and so forth uh, in in order to get their business but 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 that that's all for a purpose it, it's that they're conducting business even though they may not be talking shop it's all about business whenever i was working for a consulting engineer we had our own plane we was flying all over the country and and i was a young guy back then and my my boss the president of the company was flying the plane the vice president of the company was in the other seat and this big shot that we were actually working for and trying naturally get all of his business and uh, i i had a way in those days we had uh had a beechcraft bonanza four-seater and uh, in those days my way of, of uh, I mean, I never was afraid to fly or anything, but there was something about the hum of the engines, and I just go to sleep every time. I I wasn't flying it, and so I, you know, I'd go to sleep, and so they put me in the back seat with this guy, and I mean, of course, it wasn't five minutes. I sound asleep, and I slept till we landed. Boy, my boss chewed me out. He said, how dare you we put you back there with this guy that's a big shot you know in the company and we're trying to get their business and what do you do instead of engaging in conversation with him or anything and acting like you cared you just went to sleep well i i'm saying that a lot of times whenever whenever these big shot businessmen are having their uh their meals together that's uh that's important stuff to them. They're trying to make certain determinations. And it's not all about just discussing the business. And here he's talking about dining with a king and following the proper procedure. Now, verse 2 and so, in addition to what we just said, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to. Appetite. Well, that, that'd get rid of most Baptists, wouldn't it? <laughs> what is the point of that? Slit your throat if you're a man given to appetite? What is he talking about? The point is that we ought to use the strongest measures to, to restrain ourselves. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus spoke uh, about if thy right hand offend thee, what did he say? Cut it off now we realize that in the bible there are figures of speech and uh, and that's what that is i i don't think for a second that the lord expects you to mutilate your body just because you're tempted to commit some sin i uh you know i i mean if that's what it takes to you know to remedy remedy your spiritual problem you know um, uh, all right but But I don't think any of us need to go to that extreme, and that's not the point. The point is, take whatever measures are necessary to see that you restrain yourself from this particular problem. Uh, The old Puritan, uh, one of the old Puritan writers said that God gave us our body to feed, not uh, not to pamper; it's to be our servant and not our master. And and whenever whenever we sit down at the table and and eat and what have you, well, we need to keep that in mind. Our body is our servant. We can't let our body be the controlling factor. A, a few years ago, I can't remember exactly. I'm going to say six or seven years ago, but Houston for two years in a row was was called and identified as fat city. It was determined. I don't know how they collected all of this data, but they said there are more overweight people in Houston than any city in the United States. And so they designated Houston as fat city. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. I uh, somebody was telling me about the corkscrew barbecue over here, and <laughs> I'm going to go find out how many fat people's over at corkscrew bar- barbecue as soon as I can because I, you know, I, I I love that. But but let me tell you something. This is not just a problem that Houstonians have, and in reality, it's not just a problem of of being overweight. The problem goes far beyond that because somebody somebody again in one of the one of the studies said that over eighty million Americans have some kind of eating disorder eighty million Americans with an eating disorder. I like what one guy said he said strength is the ability to break a chocolate bar into four pieces. And then to just eat one piece, that, that, take, that takes a lot of strength to, you know, be able to do that, but uh, the whole point of this doesn't have anything really to do with the calories and, 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 and stuff, so much as it does the matter of us being in control of our appetite, and uh and you can apply that word appetite to a lot of things other than eating. Now, notice verse 3. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. That word dainties means savory meat. And notice he calls it deceitful here. It's deceitful for two reasons. Number one, you know, it... Uh, it. Um, might be that the invitation to dine is not for friendship but for manipulation that's what i've been talking about the king you know sends a messenger over to get you and invite you to come over for a meal it just sweeps you off the feet you're so flattered and you're thinking well i guess finally he was impressed by the way i play the flute or the way that i fight you know in the army or the way i do this or that and so you're thinking it's something that is to honor you when in reality it is a tool that the king is using to find out more about you and and let me tell you whenever it comes to this this matter of people using you and manipulating you uh... that that happens in a lot of ways other than over a meal and uh... And it's deceitful of the deities that are served to them. And then also, in the sense, uh, he can say that in the sense that they never really provide all of the satisfaction they promise. And Solomon deals with that in the book of Ecclesiastes that the world offers so much and makes all of these promises that it can't fulfill. And so when it, he, that's why he uses the word deceitful here. You would think it's something, oh, you know, if I could just, man, if I could just get a, if I could get a ribeye steak, I'd never, I'd never want anything else to eat again. You know, if I could just get some frog legs and fried quail, I'd, that, I, I'd never, I'd never have to eat anything again. Yo, oh, yeah, you would because I mean, it'd just be a matter of time. Your stomach start growling, you'd be hungry again, and. Uh, so we're never really satisfied with those things that are so appealing. Now the whole question that remains in talking about these things is what in the world do we take away from it? In what possible way can we benefit from what we've been talking about? Well I think there's two maybe three things that we need to think about in light of all of this. Number one It is not a sin to enjoy eating. That's not a sin. Uh, And believe it or not, uh, and you probably won't, whenever, when I first started being a pastor, I had a problem in this area. It was the result of some good-natured teasing. Nobody meant anything by it whatsoever shortly after i came on the scene as the new pastor we you know they had they had a of course you know pastors always they're on their honeymoon everything just great to start with and so they had a supper and introduced me to everybody and so forth and well naturally i mean you're going to put out a big old spread of food i i'm going i'm going to eat and i'm going to eat a lot i'm just prone to do that and somebody was teasing me about you know uh having a hearty appetite or something. But, boy, I'm telling you what, it, it did something to me, and I can tell you for the next few years, there was not one occasion at church or anywhere else that I overate. I just refused to do it because I was scared to death that somebody was going to think I was an unspiritual glutton because, you know, I had to unbuckle my belt and go back for seconds and eat a little more than what I should. Uh, So it was a problem for me, and it took me a while to realize that eating in and of itself is not wrong, and to enjoy the food is not wrong. Many years ago, one writer explained this matter like this. He said, appetite is undoubtedly of God— And for few things on the lower level have we more occasion to thank our Creator than for the fact that He has made our food to be palatable and caused us so to crave it that the partaking of it is a pleasure. Now think what if it was otherwise. In other words, you have to eat to survive, but you're not allowed to enjoy it and you can't enjoy it because it tastes like, let's say, cardboard. I mean, it's awful, it's horrible, and it's terrible. But you gotta eat it because you gotta survive, you see. You know, God could have He could have He could have made it that way. God could have designed our bodies to where the only thing by which we could be sustained would be uh, <laughs> grass in the field and some of these vegetarians they think that's what he did but I got news for them you know my Bible tells me that if it's received with Thanksgiving you know we can eat anything you know if you like sushi go for it I mean God's not against that but the point is that so many times we become fanatical uh, radical all because we're wanting to appear more spiritual than what we really are and the fact of the matter is i think god intends for us to enjoy eating just not to excess by the way isn't there going to be a married supper of the lamb and they're going to we're going to be i know we're going to have glorified bodies and all of that but i've never been to a supper in my life where they didn't serve something to eat, and so if there's going to be eating in heaven, why in the world should we worry about eating and enjoying our food here on earth so and, and I'm saying all that for a reason because I don't want you to get in that mindset that that oh I just you know I've just got to be so careful because somebody's liable to criticize me. I got news for you they're going to criticize you whether you eat or not. If they don't criticize you about eating, they'll find something else to criticize you about. just the other day uh, it was it was so sad uh, and, and and if you knew the whole story, you'd realize that it's sad beyond what I'm able to explain. in order to justify their particular sin, there are those. Who would attack and accuse you of being a glutton and sinning in the same manner that they do because you happen to overeat or because you might be a few pounds overweight? And believe me, you wouldn't like to be identified with the group they're in. But in their mind, what they're saying, and they're saying it publicly, what they're saying is, you're no better than I am. One sin just as bad as another sin. I do this, you do that. How dare you criticize me? And the sad fact about the whole thing is they don't even know what gluttony is really all about. Overeating occasionally is not gluttony. Gluttony is whenever we cannot control our appetite. And in those days, there were those who were gluttonous to the point that, I mean, uh, and I don't want to get too descriptive here, but uh, (laughs) they would eat all they can and purge and eat more. And just it seemed like there was no end to their appetite and they would do anything in order to be able to keep Feeding their appetite. It's not a sin to enjoy eating. The second thing I think we can take away from this is that some people are, are more prone to overeat than other people. Uh, by that I mean the temptation to, to overeat is greater with some people than it is with others. Notice verse number two. It says here a man given to appetite. Now as I read that I think I think it is indicating that not everybody is so inclined. A man given to appetite. There are some who are and some who are not. There are some that you know they they indulge and and they just I mean they're always on the verge of being out of control as it were And, and for others they they it's never a problem some people have a terrible struggle in that area but what is a besetting sin to one person might be no temptation to the other person whatever and just as much as maybe you enjoy eating and it might be that not only do you enjoy eating it just well, we we need to get honest about it, it just might be you eat more than what you really should or what you really need. That's a a problem area of your life. There are people that would tell you they would they would say I just can't control my appetite. I can't control myself. I I, it's, it's, I I just get out of hand. So it's a constant struggle they live with. On the other hand, there are some people they're never prone to to, to overeat. You know, I've uh, I better not mention any names or make this personal or anything, but detect uh, I, I take, it takes a whole lot more food for me to get by than it does uh, for Bev to get by. She eats, and she's not tempted like I am to eat, you know. I, uh, she often reminds me, you know, we we eat to live, not live to eat. Well, I know that, but quit with the telling me, you know. I uh, I know that. <laughs> sure, I, yeah, I, I enjoy eating. There's not any problem with that unless until I am out of control and I indulge, and then it becomes a problem. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. And that is, and and let me go back and repeat myself for just a second. That which is a besetting sin to one person is no temptation to another person. You've heard me say on several different occasions that from the time that I become addicted to alcohol to this very day, right now, just to be honest, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "What is the one liquid that would taste better than anything on earth?" I'd say "Beer. It still is It's been that way since the day I was addicted to it. I don't drink it, but but the 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 taste for it is still there, but there's some of you. You've never been tempted to to drink a beer, and and, and even if you tried, you wouldn't like it. You, you see what I'm saying? So we've got to really be careful about misjudging other people because it might be, yeah, they eat more than they should. It might be they, it might be they're even a bit gluttonous on occasions we got to be careful because although that is their besetting sin, it might be something else with us. And so whenever we look at these verses and we think about the need for us to control ourselves, we need to control ourselves not only in regards to our appetite, but also our attitude toward other people. You say, "Oh yeah, but just look, just just look, you know, at, at how they failed." Did you watch them at the last church supper? Did you see how much they ate? No, I was too busy enjoying my own food. Uh, I wasn't paying any attention to them. Uh, why are you watching them anyway? You, you see what I'm saying? You might not have a problem in that area, but you've got a problem in some area. Now, there's one more thing. All of this, and this, uh, to, to me, and remember I started out with saying this entire chapter has to do with the management of me. It's all about us being in control of ourselves, and that's the, that's the last point here, that we need to maintain control of ourselves in all areas, not just when it comes to food. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 for a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. I love this section of Scripture, and I wish I had time to really talk about all of it because verse 22, that's not what I want to talk about, but it's so amazing where Paul says, I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Boy, he had his... He had his uh, head screwed on right, didn't he? He was focused on the right thing. And this I do for the gospel's sake. Good for you, Paul. That ought to be our attitude. Then he begins to talk about a race. One receives the prize in verse 24. Now, notice verse 25. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate that word temperance speaks about self control every man that strives for the master is temperate in all things now he says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible whenever you think about those athletes when well, you know whether it's football basketball whether it's the olympics or whatever it is those people go through rigorous training programs. They watch their diet. They exercise. They, you know, because they know if they're going to be a champion, they've got to be in tip-top shape. They can't just, you know, go out here and eat anything they want and never exercise. They, you know, they've got, to, they've got to get out there and hit the weights and run the track and do all of those things. That's the price they pay for success. That's what he's saying. If they're striving for the mastery, they have to be temperate in all things. And Paul is applying that to the Christian life, that if we want to succeed in our Christian life, we better get control of ourselves. That's one of the serious problems we've got in America today. We've raised an out-of-control generation. You know, I I see it, I want it, I'm going to get it, or somebody ought to give it to me, or you know, and, and th- that that's their attitude. And I just can't ever be happy if I don't get that. I'm entitled to it. It doesn't make any difference what area of life it is, whether it has to do with the church or your family, your marriage on the job, whatever it is you're doing, you'll never be able to excel at it if you're not able to manage you to keep yourself in control. Before I was saved, I, I, it's very doubtful that if you, you ever met anybody that had a worse temper than I did, And I had it ever since I was a little kid. And it all started when I was four or five years old, and we'd go to grandma's, and I was made to fight cousins. My dad didn't like it, but he let it happen. And so from that day on, I decided I'm going to get you before you get me. That became my philosophy I'm going to do it to you before you get a chance to do it to me. And I had a temper, whether it's on the ball field or whatever, I, I, I'd lose total control. I've thrown my ball glove clean over the backstop and into the stands. I've thrown ball bats. I, you name it, and I've done it. I uh, kicked the windshield out of the cars. This is the idiot that they have married. I mean, whenever we got in an argument back then before I got saved, uh, uh, you know, uh, she didn't know what was going to happen, whether it was break the furniture or, like I said, kick the windshield out of, out of the 56 Chevy or whatever. And I am so thankful that God didn't just save me, forgive me of my sins and promise to take me to heaven when I die. I'm thankful that God enabled me to, to, to have control, and, and this is the way it happened, by giving him control of my life because it didn't happen as a result of me saying, oh, well, I'm a Christian now. I've got to act better than this. I, you know, I've I got to straighten up and fly right, and uh, I've got to start doing the right thing. I, I, can't, I can't let my temper get the best of me. I would have never solved it that way, and you won't either. The only way for any of us to have control of ourselves is, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, where he talks about being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, And remember, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit and those nine things, what's the last one? Temperance. Temperance. That's the last thing of those nine graces that are mentioned there. Temperance. Self-control. And let me tell you, we are out of control unless we're under his control. Out of control. It might not show up in what you eat. It might not show up in how much money you spend, but you're out of control, nevertheless. Now, in verse number four, and we'll we'll get there next week. He starts talking about the matter of riches, and tells us that we ought not to labor to to be rich. Flies in the face of what uh, a lot of people would tell us to do, but we'll talk about that because if the listen, if, if the uh, if the you know real root of all of our sin is what, it's the love of money, not money, the love of money. If that's the root of all evil, then then there's something about that that's really important that we need to think about. Well, I know that I've rambled uh, probably way too much uh, and jumped around too much, but I, I hope tonight that that we'll leave here thinking about one thing, and that's the management of me that I need to I need to I need to keep myself under control by giving God control of my life. Let's all stand together.